I forgot one other thing that we have to do before we get too far. I'm going to have to have the ushers. Again, the ushers are going to be passing out some disinfectant wipes. This last week, we had a couple of cases of lice at the church, and we didn't get a chance to clean all of the chairs. So they're just going to pass around some disinfectant wipes. You just take that wipe, wipe your chair. I've heard it's 100% safety. It gets rid of it right away. Why are some of you beginning to itch a little bit? This last week, I was having lunch with an individual, and as we were having lunch, they, they were asking me what the lice policy was at the daycare where I, where I serve on the board of directors. So we had a couple of cases of lice, and as they started asking questions about it, all of a sudden, out of nowhere, I'm just starting to itch in the back of my head and around, and even right now, it's like, oh, I don't, kind of that, and some of you I know are going, oh boy, what's going on? It's, you just put the thought in your mind, and what happens? Weird stuff starts to happen. You start to itch. You don't even have lice. It's like whatever you set your mind on, there's great power there. If you set your mind on something, your life can start to reflect whatever you set your mind on. This morning, I want to ask a very simple question. What is our mind set on? Or maybe another way of asking it, what's our attitude this morning? Our outlook on life? Jesus is really challenging his followers as he interacts with them today. After a question comes up, he, he's really challenging them on their mindset of refreshing their attitude. And Matthew 20 and Philippians chapter 2 is really all about changing our mindset, that which we set our mind on. The disciples' minds are set on power and authority. And this makes sense. They're walking around with the most powerful human being in history. They're walking around with the man who's been healing people. They're walking around with a man who raised people from the dead, something that hadn't been done before. You see, Jesus' followers now believe, and now rightfully so, know that someday Jesus is going to be king of the universe. And so their thought process is, hey, if he's going to be king of the universe, if he's going to govern everything, I want a spot at his table. I, I want to help uh, kind of govern things. And so the mother of two of Jesus' followers comes up and says, hey, Jesus, could, could my boys sit one at your right and one at your left? Very simply, they're saying, hey, Jesus, could, could my two sons be second in charge? Could, could they have the, that second level of authority just below you? I mean, it makes sense because people want to be great, right? I mean, who wakes up in the morning and says, I want to be a loser today? I mean, okay, if people wake up that way, what do we do? We send them to counseling. We get medication for that stuff. Because what? We want to be great. We want to be sitting at the table with Jesus. I mean, who doesn't want to sit with the king at the banqueting table as you're controlling the whole universe? It makes sense that that was the desire of Jesus' followers. Jesus takes that desire and says, hey, it's going to be a little different than the way it is for the rest of the world. In Matthew chapter 20, if you have your Bibles with you, look with me. So he says, hey, yeah, you want that. In verse 25, he says this, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. In other words, Jesus is saying, hey, you know that the people that are in charge in society, they take their position of power or authority 
and they use it to their own advantage. They basically say to people, hey, remember, I'm in charge. They lord it over people, that they have the power, that they have authority. So Jesus says, that's the way it's done in the world. That's what you're seeing in society. And then Jesus goes on and he says this in verse 26. It shall not be so among you. In other words, Jesus is saying, hey, that's the way it is for the world. That's the way it is for society. But guess what? It's not that way for us. People who are in positions of authority, people who have power, people who are great, guess what? They, they don't act that way. There's a different way for us. And he begins to lay out the way in verse 26. He says, but whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be your slave. So Jesus is saying, hey, the great ones in society take their power and lord it over people. But if you want to be great in the kingdom of God, you take your power and your authority and you do what? You serve people. Because in the kingdom of God, those who are first actually should behave as though they are last. He says it very frankly here. As he says at the end in verse 27, he says, whoever would be first among you must be your slave. So this idea of slavery, for us, major negative connotations, and rightfully so. Our history of slavery as our country was dehumanizing people. Now, in Jesus' culture, slavery was someone who was given a different rank in the household. So you might have had someone who's a slave in a household, but they wouldn't necessarily have been dehumanized like we had in our history of slavery. It was someone who had a lower rank, no authority, and submitted to the authority that was above them. But the people that were above them still saw them as, as human beings. So Jesus is saying this, hey, you need to take a different rank. You need to rank yourself below other people. In other words, as we'll see in a minute from Philippians 2, consider others more significant than yourself. Don't say to yourself, I'm the captain. Say, I'm a member of the infantry because you're supposed to take a lower rank as a follower of Christ and say, you know what? I'm here to serve you. You're not here to serve me. Jesus very frankly saying to his disciples, hey, we have a different mindset. Our mind is set on one thing, serving. The world's mind is set on power, authority, and governing. We exist to serve others. Well, why do we serve? Why do we say someone else's needs before our own? Why do we seek to bless others who maybe haven't blessed us at all? Why do we serve? Well, let's understand why we don't serve first. Why don't we serve? We don't serve as a means to an end. What I mean by that is this. We don't do good works to get people to like us. So, for example, uh, the example that's used a lot is, I don't give a warm bowl of soup to someone who's hungry so that I can get them to hear me talk about Jesus. Well, that's what they do in the world. The world does this. Put one thing out front, bring them in, and then the, bring in the back door, the real message. No, no, we don't serve as a means to an end, as though if they don't, if they don't listen to us, we're going to take the warm bowl of soup away. We give them the warm bowl of soup because we serve, not as a means to an end. We also don't serve as a work to be rewarded. We don't serve as a work to be rewarded. What I mean by that is I don't do a good deed and then say, God, you now owe me. 
This goes directly contradictory to Jesus himself, and it goes direct contradiction to what God has revealed in his word, that we're saved, we're made right with God by faith, none of our works are, do anything. Our works don't get the attention of God and open heaven's blessings. I don't serve to get a reward. It's not a debit-credit relationship. I don't serve as a means to an end. I don't serve as a work to get a reward. And I don't serve as paying off a debt. This is a big one. This is a challenge for a lot of us. We say this in the church. This is in songs that we sing, and I just irks every time. God sent Jesus to die for us. And a lot of times we say something like this, look at everything God's done for you. What are you going to do for God? Okay, we don't, we're not in debt to God. We had a debt to God because of our sin. And the Bible teaches that Jesus came and paid that debt. We owed something to God, and Jesus paid it by living the perfect life and dying on our behalf on the cross. Now that Jesus has paid that debt, we're not in debt to Jesus. It's not like, Jesus, okay, look what Jesus has done for you. You need to pay him back now for what he did for you. What? That's the same thing as works righteousness. How much work do I have to do to now pay off the debt? I'm not indebted to God at all. I do not do good works. I don't serve others as a means to an end. I don't serve others to get a reward. I don't serve others to pay off a debt to God. I serve others because my master is a servant. Look with me in Matthew chapter 20, verse 28. So Jesus had just finished saying, hey, become a slave to others. Verse 28, he says, even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. I serve because I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. And if I'm a follower of Jesus Christ, Jesus is my master. And if my master is a servant, I have to be a servant. Because I can't be greater than my master. The reason I serve is because the one who made me a Christian is a servant. How did you become a Christian? You did not become a Christian by your good works. You did not become a Christian because of your ethnicity. You did not become a Christian because of your baptism. You did not become a Christian because of your socioeconomic status. You became a Christian because Jesus Christ died for you. You did nothing in the transaction at all. Nothing at all. It's done. It says right here, 28, Son of Man came to pay a ransom on your behalf. Who paid the ransom? Jesus paid the ransom. And guess what? You had no say in it. He paid the ransom before you were even born. And for those who were born, he was going to pay the ransom whether they accepted it or not. You're a Christian because Jesus Christ serves. And he gave the ultimate example, sacrifice of service, of giving his life. And because I'm a Christian, because of what Jesus did, I serve. Not to pay him back, but because that's what made me a Christian, was his service. Think of it this way. What makes an apple tree an apple tree? It was planted by an apple seed. If I plant an apple seed and it takes about four or five years then to fully bloom, I plant the apple seed, what do I expect? Apples. If I plant an apple seed and five years later I've got oranges coming, what's going on? Somebody changed out the seed because an apple seed doesn't produce oranges. 
In Appleseed, you expect apples. Our master is a servant. His death made us Christians. If our master is a servant and his service made us Christians, what do we expect from Christians? Service. The very thing that made us Christians is a mindset of service. Therefore, I seek to serve because my master serves. It can be no other way. The mindset of a Christian is a mindset of serving. Serving that Jesus wants is not just a once a month service project. Hey, I went and helped at the food bank for two hours. I'm done. Now I can go live like the rest of the Gentiles and lord it over everyone. This is what Philippians 2 is all about. Philippians 2, if you have your Bible, turn with me there that we read earlier. In the New Testament, Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2. God is really interested in developing a mindset or an attitude. Look with me at chapter 2 of Philippians. Starting in verse 2, he says this a couple of times. Complete my joy by being of the same mind. In other words, Paul's writing to a group of people saying, hey, I want you to have this thought process. And then he continues on there in verse 2. Same love, full accord. And again, at the end of the verse, of one mind. He's really trying to change a thought process here. And then down to verse 5. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Maybe your version says, Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. Attitude, outlook on life, or your mindset. God wants us to have a mindset that what? Considers others first. In Philippians 2, look with me there. Verse 3, Do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. This is the mindset that God wants to create in us. This is the attitude that we're supposed to have, an attitude of others first. Others' needs before my own needs. Why? Look with me, if you would, down in verse 5 now. Why should this be our mind? Notice how that verse ends, which is yours in Christ Jesus. So have this mind, which is yours in Christ Jesus. If you have your pen with you and your paper Bible, just underline, in Christ Jesus. The reason we're supposed to have this mindset is because when we're united to Christ in faith, we're now considered in Jesus. So if we're in Jesus, we have to then be similar in the same step with Jesus who has this mindset of service. And that's what the rest of Philippians goes on to describe then. So have this mind, which is the same as Jesus' mind, who you're united to. And what's the mindset of Jesus? The mindset of Jesus is this. Who, Jesus, Though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. Jesus did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. Jesus, we believe, existed for eternity. Before he came as a human being, he was in the heavens or outside of earth, however you want to describe that, with God the Father. He he was in the place where all authority, all power, and all wealth is held. <laughs> I mean, he's, you're at the best place. It's like eating at Pizza Inn every day for lunch. It doesn't get any better. I mean, how would you not want to stay there? Jesus is at the best place possible. What does he do, though? He says, I'm going to lay aside 
this power, this authority, and this wealth. And he comes and he's born in the likeness of men. And we all know the story, born in the likeness of men. He, he didn't say, hey, I'll, hey, God the Father, I'll go, but do you think we could go to the Hilton maybe in the center of Jerusalem and, and start the movement there? No, no, he's born in the likeness of men that he goes to the lowliest of the lowly, a stable. And then what does he do throughout his life? He stays with the lowliest of the lowly. He does not center his ministry out of Jerusalem, which could be described as New York City, the center of culture where everything is happening that is happening. But he centers his ministry out amongst anyone and everyone. Because Jesus did not pursue power and authority. He laid that power and authority aside. He laid it aside and he had a mindset of humility. And then what happens after he set aside the power and the authority? We look at the end of Philippians 2, verse 9. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. Jesus has been now restored to that position of power and authority over everything in the universe. He was exalted. He was exalted. This is what the Bible says, not me. He was exalted not because he deserves it. He was exalted because he laid the power and authority aside initially and he became a servant of all. He's exalted because of the pathway that he traveled. Exaltation simply means made great. This morning, your heart's desire and my heart's desire is to be great. There's only one pathway to greatness in the kingdom of God. And that's following the example of Jesus Christ, becoming a slave to others, saying, your needs before my needs, saying to others, you're more significant than I am. And do you know what it takes to say to someone, you're more significant than I am? It takes the ability to see the value in that person. Do you see the value in other people right now? You can't raise somebody up and say you're more significant than I am until you see the value in their life. We live in a country that does not value human life. Our value increases as our income increases or our value increases depending on who we hang out with or where we live. But from God's Word, every human has value because you're a human. You don't have value because what you believe. You're no more valuable here in the sight of God today, than someone who believes completely opposite than you. A belief system does not determine someone's value. Your value is because you're created in the image of God as a human being. Jesus considered others more significant than him and went to the cross on our behalf. Why? Because we're valuable. Because we're created in the image of God. Do you see other people as valuable? Even people who believe something completely different than you, do you see the inherent value in their life? You can't see the value in someone else's life until you're convinced of the value of your own life. So this morning, start there. Do you know how valuable you are today? No matter what anyone said to you this last week, people who have power or authority, they may have said, you're not valuable. Guess what God's Word says about you? You are valuable. You are priceless, as Romans 5 tells us, that God shed His own blood on your behalf. That's how valuable you are. Your life has 
endless value to the creator of this universe. Know that you are valuable. Now go and value others. And when you value others, you can consider them more significant than yourself. Followers of Jesus Christ are to have a mindset that says, I want to serve. A mindset that says, I'm putting others before myself. This morning, I just want to ask us five questions quickly to examine our own hearts. Five questions to say, do I need an attitude adjustment? First question, am I aware of the needs of others around me? Do I know what the need is of my coworker? Do I know the need of my neighbor or my classmate? Do I know what their needs are? Do I wait to be asked or do I take the initiative in serving? In the church, this is the first place this happens all the time. Well, no one asks. Well, again, as a follower of Christ, this should be our last excuse. No one asks because as a follower of Christ, guess what? I should be asking all the time, where can I serve? Who can I serve? How can I bless others? Have you taken the initiative and said, how can I serve? How can I put others before myself, the needs of of anyone and everyone? Do I wait to be asked or do I take the initiative in serving? What am I currently giving up because I'm putting someone else above me? This is right at the heart of what he's getting at here in Philippians 2. If I'm considering someone more significant than me, sometimes, guess what? I've got to lay aside my rights. Jesus had the right to stay in heaven. That was fully his right. What does he do? He lays aside that right. I'll use a very simple example, but one that's important for our culture. Alcohol. I have the right to drink alcohol. I can't speak against it. From the, I've got the full right to drink alcohol. There's nothing wrong with alcohol. However, at times, I may need to consider someone else and what they're going through in life and set aside my right. So I have to give up alcohol. Why? Because I'm seeking to benefit somebody else. I'm putting somebody else ahead of me. It's not because I'm trying to gain God's approval or whatever. I'm looking out for the best interest of someone else all the time. Is it my right to come home and rest after a hard day's work? Sure. Guess what? Sometimes I got to lay aside that right and say, I've put in nine, ten hours of work already, and guess what? I got to go down to the nursing home and visit so-and-so because they haven't had anyone there all week. I got to lay aside my right, what I've earned, the right to rest for the benefit of someone else. Fourth question, am I exhausted from serving or constantly frustrated by the lack of service by others? This question might confuse you, like, what are, what? but I think we need to examine our own hearts sometimes on, on our attitude about serving. Some people are exhausted because of the serving that they're doing. Folks, that's not right either. If you're exhausted because of your serving, something's not right. Something's not right with why you're serving, or something's not right with how you're serving. Something's not right. God did not create us to be exhausted beings. Because you know what happens with exhausted beings? We make mistakes. We treat people poorly. We have a short fuse. You might be exhausted. Or are you constantly frustrated by the lack of service by others? You're like, geez, why am I always the one to pick this up? Guess what? That's not a them issue. That's a me issue. We should not get frustrated by the lack of service by others. That's out of, completely out of our control. I can only do what's put in front of me. 
I can only be faithful with the resources God has given me. I'd encourage you this morning, if there's a sense of guilt in your service of not doing enough, or there's a sense of exhaustion or a sense of frustration, examine the root of why you're serving. God didn't create us to, to be guilty every night, like, oh, I know I should do more than enough. If you're guilty, there, there's something going on. Get to the root of the guilt or the root of the frustration. Question five, who have I esteemed who I have deemed unworthy? I think I would fail English class with this question. I'm not even sure if the grammar's right here. Very simply this, who have I said, you're more important than me that I think is a worthless scoundrel? This would be getting at the heart of Jesus' life in Philippians 2. When I say about someone else, you're more significant than me, but I've always struggled with this feeling that, oh, that person is worthless and doesn't deserve it. Because guess what? This is when the gospel has really taken root in our hearts. The gospel takes root when we realize that at one point in our lives, we were worthless and unworthy as well. But what did God do? God sent His Son, Jesus Christ, to die on our behalf. Maybe your Muslim neighbor you think is just worthless and deserves the worst. Guess what? God's Word would call us to consider them significant. Not because of what they believe or what they teach or what they do, but because they are created in the image of God. Who do you need to esteem who you've deemed unworthy? Five questions to examine my heart this morning. To check my attitude and say, God, do I have a mindset that reflects the mindset of my Master, Jesus Christ? As a church, we want to have a mindset that says, serve. Put the needs of the community and beyond before our own needs. Because that's what our Master did. Jesus Christ had all power, all authority, and all wealth. And what did He do? He chose to serve. Followers of Jesus Christ, you have all power, all authority, and all wealth. What are you going to choose to do? Let it be said of us that we had the same mindset that our Master has, a mindset of service. Let us pray. Gracious God, thank you for sending your Son. God, thank you for creating a place, a people of service. Thank you for creating the church. And so, God, we ask now that you'd refine us, that you would nurture us, that you'd shape us, that you would form us to reflect your mindset. God, we ask that you'd shape within us the attitude of your Son, Jesus Christ. God, I pray right now, for anyone that's exhausted because of serving. God, I ask that you bring renewal to their heart today, that you'd help flesh out what's going on in their life. I pray for anyone that's struggling with guilt today because of lack of service. God, I ask that you'd help them work to the root of their issues. And God, today I pray for anyone in our lives, myself included, who I've deemed unworthy. God, I ask for a second chance to become a slave to that person. God, place someone in our lives, each person this next week, place someone in our pathway that we can put before ourselves. God, thank you for your patience. 
Thank you for your kindness. Thank you for giving your son to die on our behalf. In Jesus' name, amen.